says tech can't be human? People who are in fields where they protect people and think about risk, how can they use that energy in a positive way even when it's time to clock out? Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. This episode, we're going to be speaking about tools to help people harness anxiety for productivity and fulfillment. I don't think we speak about anxiety enough across technology, and we're not going to be doing this alone. We've brought in an expert. Our guest this episode is Dr. Chloe Carmichael. Dr. Chloe is a clinical psychologist and has authored the book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, a book that's been endorsed by Deepak Chopra. And I'm sure we're going to be able to unlock and unpack a lot about anxiety. Dr. Chloe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so great to be with you guys. And thanks to all those technology security people that are helping to make (laughs) this possible to keep us all safe online. Absolutely. And we are so happy to have you here with us today because anxiety really is a part of everyone's life, whether it's big anxieties or small. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a clinical psychologist and I wrote the book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, because I tend to work with a lot of really type A driven people. And those types of people are sometimes actually prone to anxiety because they tend to have active minds, detail oriented, all the kind of stuff that we find in technology and security, right? And so they were sometimes come to me and say they were struggling with anxiety. And I wanted to help them learn how to unlock the powers of anxiety. Mother Nature gives us that anxiety for a reason. So that's why I wrote the book. And you mentioned also the Deepak endorsement, which I think I got because I was a yoga teacher before I was a psychologist. And I have kind of a special take when it comes to mindfulness and meditation and their role when it comes to anxiety. So let's go ahead and really just understand what anxiety is. How would you define it? I've heard it defined in so many ways over the course of my life. I've defined it for myself. I feel like it's always a moving target, but we'd love to hear you know, your description of it. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would want to do is actually devilify it, right? Because again, so many people come and they say, how do I, you know, get rid of my anxiety? And what anxiety is, is it's actually a healthy little 
tickle from Mother Nature, which is there to stimulate us uh, to do preparation behaviors. So really what anxiety is, is it's an awareness that there is something that we need to prepare for, some kind of a stressor or circumstance or situation that we Feel we need to put a little bit of preparation effort into. And for some people who they don't know how to manage it or they get worried about worry, it can be a negative where you feel like you're kind of running to stand still or you feel like you got racing thoughts in a way that doesn't feel productive. But the good news is, is that having the energy there in the first place is a gift. Some people don't have that energy. They're kind of a bump on a log. So when, when people have the energy, we just just need to teach them some simple techniques on how to shape it to maximize it. So let's dive right into how we can harness the, the power of anxiety. When I think about anxiety, one of the main things I, I think about just in my career, in my life is honestly fighting. When uh, I used to compete pretty often in wrestling, and I've competed in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And quite often, almost every single time I'd have this anxiety before I step out onto the mat to compete or even like mixed martial arts fighters before they step in. But I didn't learn until much later in life that people say use that energy. So how do mm -hmm. folks actually take that energy and use it and not let it be debilitating? Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that you did uh, MMA fighting. That is really cool. And to your point, yes, like that adrenaline is part of what can help us, whether we're in an actual fighting ring <laughs> or, you know, whether we're rising to the occasion of even a challenge that we're dealing with at our desk, you know, that extra edge can really be a helper. So the first thing we have to do, though, is to really understand the nature of exactly what it is, right? Are, are we literally um, in a situation where we have to lean in and fight and engage? And I have a set of techniques for that. Or sometimes we're in a situation where say the, the fight is over, the crisis is solved, but our wheels are still spinning. And we do need to learn sometimes how to wind ourselves down so that we don't waste the energy when there is no, you know, fight in the ring, so to speak. So the first step is to really gauge the anxiety and figure out which category it's in. I break it down into two main categories, like the, the lean in techniques and the pivot away techniques. And how do we figure it out? Like which one of those things it is? It can actually be a pretty intellectual process, you know, right? Of just simply noticing it and asking yourself, okay, am I worked up about something that it's a situation where I can actually still do something about this? Or am I worked up about a situation where there's truly nothing I can do and I need to, you know, learn how to let it go. For some people, that intellectual approach is the best. Also, in my book, I do offer a mindfulness technique, which I know a lot of people hear mindfulness and they think new age woo-woo stuff. And mm -hmm. I just, I want to kind of layer on something else there, which is that mindfulness is actually what psychologists call metacognition, which is thinking about your thoughts. That's what it is, really, I think. And I say that as someone who was a yoga teacher, became a clinical psychologist, and I really think it's that framing of mindfulness as metacognition that caused Deepak Chopra to you know, become interested and endorse the book. So for people who are hearing about mindfulness and they think it's about you know, just being present or something, that's okay. But what it really is, 
is the way we practice, as you said, learning how to know which category the anxiety is in and then therefore how to deal with it. If we really want to get good at being able to do that, even in hot emotional moments of stress, we would practice, believe it or not, a certain breathing technique. And, you know, I can walk you guys through that, or there's also a video of me doing it for free at Dr. Chloe. Uh, where you can go to nervousenergybook.com and you can get a free video of that. But the really interesting thing is, is that places like Harvard Medical School and other prestigious places have shown that by doing certain types of breathing techniques and then describing what we felt during those techniques, as mundane and boring and basic as that seems, we really are actually building very specific executive lobe skills of being able to observe and describe ourselves. And when we can practice doing that in something simple like our breath, when we're not experiencing any big stress, we're actually much better studies show able to observe and describe what's going on with ourselves when we are in distress. And as we all know, when we're in distress, it can be hard because one of the features of anxiety is that it narrows our focus. Mother nature does that so that we can focus like a laser beam and deal with what we're supposed to deal with, which is great, except for <laughs> um, if we're dealing with a very complex life, you know, we're not just cavemen dealing with, you know, simple, straightforward threats anymore. Sometimes things are more complex for us. And so when we have that narrow focus that comes with anxiety, but we don't yet really know, um, haven't observed the source of the anxiety and articulated it and figured out which kind of technique it needs, then that laser focus can actually um, be our enemy. And so that mindfulness metacognition skill helps us to zoom out and say, wait a minute, what's the real stressor here? What's the big picture? What do I really need to do? And then we can choose which other technique might be the best way to deal with the stressor. You know, you are amongst friends here. Both mindfulness and breath work are a reoccurring uh, concepts that we bring up quite often on our podcast. So definitely, definitely great information there. You got to walk us through this journey. How does someone that is so probably at peace, you're probably pretty mindful just going through your, your yoga practice as long as you went through all the training you went through, and then you decided to focus on other people's anxiety and, and how to help them harness that. What was that story? What, what was that journey for you? Oh, yeah. It's a story I love to share. Thanks for asking. So it actually kind of flowed pretty naturally where I was teaching private yoga lessons in New York City, which you can imagine the kind of New Yorker that hires a private yoga teacher is usually kind of a type A go-getter. So I'd be teaching these yoga lessons tailored to the person. So suppose somebody that wants to like have more work-life balance, we would be doing yoga poses about balance. We'd be doing meditation about balance, kind of a wraparound approach. And it was really helping people, which was fun and fulfilling for me. But it also made me realize how much I did not know about the brain and the mind and how these meditations were really working for people. So that's what stimulated me to go get a PhD in clinical psychology. And I share more about that in the book as well as, you know, <laughs> you you said you think I must be pretty calm, kind of. But the <laughs> thing is, again, with this nervous energy, which I think is a gift, and I do have a lot of it, I've had that myself. And so it's been a process for me of just learning how to use it productively, how to harness the power of it. <laughs> 
So being a yoga teacher and also being a clinical psychologist, what is the most common type of anxiety? Like what is that Mm -hmm. anxiety that reoccurs in the body all the time that you see through just being a master of yoga, but also being a psychologist? Mm -hmm. I would say kind of a combination, like at least in the, in the, in the folks I work with, which again, I think is probably pretty similar to your audience of the type A, you know, people, you know, that don't necessarily have anxiety that's debilitating to the point where they cannot hold a job or get an apartment. Like they're, they're, they're living their lives. They're just dealing with this. What I, as a clinical psychologist, sometimes look at as a combination of generalized anxiety paired with some obsessive compulsive tendencies. (laughs) So that's going to like what that would look like in day to day life would be, you know, say constantly refreshing your email because you like really, really, really need and want a response about a certain topic or feeling like you really want to get a promotion, but you know, you maybe feel just kind of a knot in your chest and just feel uptight and frozen when you think about it because you don't really know where to start or, you know, that kind of thing. Some perfectionism or staying up late at night because you just keep thinking about stuff and then learning how to translate that into action. Or also sometimes it can show up as doing really well at work, but when it comes to interpersonal stuff, maybe feeling super duper self-conscious or a little socially frozen because we can be so interested in what psychologists call impression management that we can it can kind of backfire um, and, and actually result in kind of perfectionism and insecurity. Wow. So let's go ahead and dive into one of the concepts that we were talking about right before the podcast. And it was that cybersecurity practitioners, we think about risk quite often. In fact, we live in the realm of risk and thinking about all the things that can go wrong. What are some of the dynamics that speaks to you when you think about cybersecurity practitioners and and how they live their life? Yeah, that's so interesting. So some studies have shown that people who have a job that as a cognitive requirement of the job is to, you know, think negatively, right? So to think about risks, to think about problems, that they can develop a cognitive habit of doing that, you know, for their job. And it can be sometimes difficult to turn that off after you punch out, right? Or sometimes people who have a tendency towards that frame of mind in the first place do tend to perform very well, you know, at those types of positions and they tend to gravitate towards them and be rewarded there. But then that job environment is also reinforcing this part of them constantly on the lookout, not trusting, worried about disaster, et cetera, which again can make it hard to change that when the workday is done. But the good news is it's actually much easier once we can kind of see that and recognize the conundrum and then do some what we call interventions or techniques to deliberately redirect our energy and and kind of shift our mental focus once we realize that that is the best thing to do at that time. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix, analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. 
Check out Upticks by visiting Upticks.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Upticks, for sponsoring this episode. So I'll be honest, I have to-do lists all the time. I use a lot of project management tools and I would say myself and probably many other technologists, we're overachievers. You know, we're looking at technology is constantly changing. And then you're trying to operate that technology, but also push the future forward. And, you know, sometimes to-do lists for me feel like it provides this negative, but also positive anxiety and really like just learning how to use it. It seems like it could be pretty effective. What do you suggest for people and how do you approach like this constant to-do list that we have in this field of technology? So one of the things that, as you said, type A overachiever people tend to have is a pretty active to-do list. And I would often see one of two things happen, which is that either the person would be definitely knocking out everything on their to-do list, but they would sometimes become almost like a hamster on a wheel feeling with it, or like they're just a productivity machine robot, but without feeling a lot of fulfillment and connection, you know, with what they were doing. And so they would complain of feeling a little bit of burnout or feeling kind of numb or something like that. Other people sometimes struggle with procrastination. So having that to-do list, but just feeling like like it's overwhelming and they just kind of check out at a certain point and they're trying to figure out how to re-engage. And the solution for either situation is that I do have a technique I mentioned called the to-do list with emotions. And so what we do is we look at that to-do list and we think for a moment about the emotion that each item stimulates. So for example, you said on yours, there there might be some marketing things to do. And so we would think about what's the emotion that comes up with that? And some people might say, well, frankly, I like the marketing stuff. I, I actually feel kind of excited and interested in that. And then another thing on the list might be to like learn some new app or learn some new program. And the emotion might be a bit of an eye roll, you know, just kind of a, again, some people might have the reverse, but you, you just take a moment and you notice the emotion that comes up for each item. And then what you do is you make sure you layer in a self-care plan for each one. And that can be positive or negative. So for example, suppose that marketing actually kind of makes you feel excited. You would make sure you maximize that, you know, by going to like a, a fun cafe or really noticing and just taking a moment to drink it in that you're getting paid to market, you know, to, to come up with cool ideas that are going to be eye-catching and just taking a moment and giving yourself a pat on the back and drinking that moment in. And then on the other hand, for other things where you're like, oh, but, you know, learning that, you know, umpteenth app, I'm just kind of sick of that or sorting out the bug and such and such program. Again, some people might like that stuff, but if you know it's one that you know is kind of a not fun one, then your self-care plan could be, well, all right, I'm going to at least take my laptop to my favorite restaurant, have a nice glass of wine and a good <laughs> meal while I, you know, do that thing. And so you're you're finding some little self-soother or enhancer that you can layer onto that one. So again, the idea with that to-do list with emotions is that we look at each item think about what the emotion is that we experience, and then we find a way to either maximize it or take care of ourselves through it. 
So could you give us a story of either when you have been in a situation where the anxiety is just so great, it, it almost keeps you from doing the thing that you need to do, but you were able to either use your techniques or change your mindset about that activity and then go on to perform either you or, or someone you know? Sure. I'll share about myself. It's actually kind of a funny story. So one of the things that I love to do is that I do get to go on a, a fair amount of very interesting television shows. Like I've done Inside Edition, ABC Nightline, VH1 Love and Hip Hop, all kinds of interesting stuff, which as a little funny aside, when I was eight years old, I told everybody I was going to live in New York and be on television. <laughs> and so it, it did end up happening. But so one of those times, it was maybe 10 years ago, it was one of my first times on national TV. I was really nervous. I was on the Nancy Grace show. <laughs> and I honestly get nervous now even just mentioning <laughs> uh, wow. because I, I, I remember this so well. I was so excited to try to promote my practice and everything. This was in the earlier days before I you know, had as much of a professional establishment as I do now. So I was really nervous. I was like, oh, I got to you know, represent the practice. I was so nervous. I drank too much coffee because I was trying to make sure I had a little extra caffeine to be on point. I forgot about the adrenaline factor. And so I just ended up basically over caffeinated and jittery. And I was trying to make a point when it was my turn to speak on the show and I mispronounced a word. And so for me being a clinical psychologist, kind of an academic to realize I was mispronouncing a word for me, it was, it felt like like a big shortcoming in the moment. And I tried to cover it up by finding a different form of the word, but my brain just froze and all it was mm. like a glitch. And I started to almost have a little mini panic attack right there because I, I was on national television, starting to sound like an idiot. And thank goodness that breathing technique I mentioned earlier, because I, I do it regularly, one of the nice things about practicing that technique regularly is that it becomes like tying your shoes. It becomes something that you can do almost unconsciously. And I actually have the clip and I, I play it sometimes that when I'm giving a speech to illustrate how powerful this is, that thank goodness my body did this quick little autopilot thing where in half a second, I just quickly took this little breath and you can even see my, my, my chest rising with like a quick breath. And then I was like, I, I came right back to life. And the whole thing, I describe it as if it was taking ages, but the whole moment I just described was probably 1.5 seconds. But that's an example of how I had my own anxiety become overwhelming and then was able to use these techniques to help me through it. So for all the folks out there that, of course, they deal with anxieties on so many levels in their life, and you know whether they're a practitioner in cybersecurity or they're a firefighter or they're a fighter, um, what piece of advice would you have for those folks out there so they can take hold of that anxiety, use it, and move forward with performance and confidence? Sure. So... I'm going to answer that one through the perspective of the question you also asked earlier, which is about people who are in security and technology or other you know, fields where they protect people and think about risk. And, and how can they use that energy in a positive way, even when it's time to clock out, right? And so I'll share another technique from my book. The technique is called the mental shortlist. And what we do in that is we think in advance of five top 
topics that we know would be really good for us to spend time on. It's, you know, and and I encourage people to have a, a wide list. It could be things from getting caught up on ideas for your birthday and and holiday shopping to weekend plans to work project initiatives, friends and family you keep meaning to call, a pretty wide-ranging list so that in any given moment there'll be something on that list that will be interesting and appropriate for you to think about. And those five items is your new mental shortlist. And when you get out of work, when it's time to pivot off the risk train, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. mentally go through those five things and you say, what on this list? You know, what I like to think about right now. And what that does is it helps you to pivot away because instead of saying, don't think about risk, it's like saying, don't think about pink elephants. We (laughs) think about five things instead that can attract us into something good. That's perfect. Dr. Chloe, this has been an absolute masterclass on handling your anxiety and using it to perform. For the folks out there that want to stay up to date with you, get your book and stay up to date with all of your incredible research, what are the best ways for people to do that? Yeah, I love to get in touch with people. So let me just say that whether you want the book or not, I would love you to still go to nervousenergybook.com because there is you'll find all my social media links and you can get a free week at my Insiders Video Club Library and all that stuff if you go to nervousenergybook.com. And if you do go to nervousenergybook.com and if you do happen to get the book, I would humbly request that you please leave me a good review on Amazon if you like the book because those algorithms get my nervous energy going because I, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to get that book message out there. So whether you want the book or not, I hope to see you at nervousenergybook.com. Yes, get the book, check it out, leave Dr. Chloe a review. And if you didn't catch that, it is in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with Dr. Chloe. Thank you again. We will see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. 